Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We're already uh, Torah portion 44, and today uh, we begin our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, and uh, it's a great study. And I just want to give us an overview as we get started today about the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, in, uh, in Jewish thought, in Jewish teaching, uh, Deuteronomy uh, is a review of what God gave in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. It's, it's called the Mishnah Torah, which means repetition of the law. And in fact, Deuteronomy itself is a combination of two words in Greek, deuteros and nomo. Deuteros means second, and nomos means law, second law, a repetition of the law. It's Moses recapping all the events and laws that he previously uh, that God previously gave in the first four books of the Bible and most experts uh, agree that all of Deuteronomy was spoken in the last five weeks of Moses's life Israel had been in the wilderness for all that time. Now they're on the banks of the Jordan and they're ready to cross over. Moses can't go in. If you've been to Israel, uh, you know that when you go down from uh, Jerusalem, down past Jericho and hang a right uh, towards the Dead Sea, across the Dead Sea you can see Mount Nebo. And that's where Moses uh, and Israel were camped. And Moses could see the promised land, but God said because of things we know that he wasn't going to be able to go in. So as Israel under Joshua's leadership is about ready to go in, Moses uh, wants to recap everything God has been speaking to Israel for 40 years. And um, the rabbis conclude that because Deuteronomy opens up with, these are the words of Moses. Normally, we've seen up until this time, and God said to Moses. But here, these are the words of Moses. It's kind of telling us there's a subtle shift going on. And many in uh, Judeo, the Judeo part of Judeo-Christianity, believe that this sets the stage for what's called the oral Torah. Uh, It's the commentary on the Torah between God and Moses as they're discussing all the laws that God gave, what they mean, how to apply them, what are the divine principles, what are what is this code of ethics that you're giving us, God? Please explain why you said this, 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 this. It's the commentary. 
God gave the Ten Commandments written in stone. And by extension, he gave the 613 commandments that are found throughout all of the Humash, the books of Moses, the first five books of Moses. Uh, The 613 commandments are represented on your tallit. Right, the zitzits, the the uh, uh, the tassels, the the threads. There's four corners, and on each corner there's knots and strings, and each one of those adds up to six hundred and thirteen. And so when you go into your prayer closet and cover yourself in the tallit, you're connecting the Spirit of God in your life to the Word of God, and the Logos of God is meant to become Rhema under the uh, uh, the protection and in the secret place of your tallit. Right? And so, God gave the tablets of stone... He gave the 613 commandments, uh, but he did all of that in what you could say, he did all of that in 40 days. He did it probably quicker than that, but let's just say 40 days, Moses is up on the mountain, and uh, God gives him all those commandments. But then the 40, what did they do for 40 years in the desert? They just kind of, you know, uh, social distanced, <laughs> never talked to one another, never heard from God again. No, for 40 years, for 40 days, God gave the commandments, and for 40 years, God explained what they meant, how to live it. And so uh, he needed Israel to go into the promised land, living by faith, fully equipped. There were some penalties that Israel had to go through because of their lack of faith, right? They listened to the spies and all of these things. And so Israel didn't get a chance to go in that first generation. But the second generation is now equipped. And they go in with all of this backstory. 40 years of in-depth study into the Word of God. And that's called the Oral Torah. God communicating to Moses what it meant. And then Moses, remember he appointed, and it's in, it's when Jethro first came, Jethro's first suggestion to Moses, Moses, if you try to uh, rule on all of this stuff yourself, you're going to burn yourself out and be no good for anybody. You need to set up an administrative judicial system where you've got leaders over tens and hundreds and thousands, kind of like a judicial system that we have right now. District court, circuit court, you know, court of appeals, Supreme Court. And cases would work their way up to Moses. Uh, and, uh, and so they would rely... At, at, Well, this is what happens, and Moses recounts all of this in Deuteronomy 1. And by having the benefit of the oral Torah, all the commentary, it's like they had a whole wall of law books 
behind them. What did God say about this? What did God mean by that? How do you correctly and rightly divide the word of truth? Well, Moses heard it from God, and then he taught us so that we could judge justly and establish a godly society Not just based on the written word, but based on the unique understanding of what the written word means. Does that make sense? So you have a written Torah and you have an oral Torah. A lot of times Christians don't understand this until they connect the dot that most pastors have a library of commentaries. Famous experts in Christianity that explain what the scripture means. When you go through Bible college, you get tons of textbooks. <laughs> Isn't that fun? And all the textbooks are written by man about what God is saying. It's a version of the oral Torah, the oral Bible. But one primary difference between what's written and what's communicated verbally isn't that one's written and one's not. It's that God had always intended for one to be passed on in written form and the other was meant to be passed on verbally. That was always the plan. Uh, so, But it wasn't until the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed by the Romans. But that, wasn't, that didn't satisfy the Romans. The Romans weren't going to be satisfied until every Jew was slaughtered, until everything was totally changed and destroyed. And that's when the rabbis got together. The Pharisees were the rabbis of the day. The Sadducees were the temple uh, officials. Big difference, and there's a whole teaching there on the difference between Sadducees and Pharisees. Uh, But the rabbis decided, look, if Rome kills every last one of us, we're going to lose the revelations that God gave to Moses and that have been permanently passed down from generation to generation. All that wisdom, all that knowledge, all that understanding will be lost if Rome has their way. So even though it wasn't meant to be written down, they decided we better write this down or we'll lose it forever. And so all this centuries of study and learning, because they were being threatened with extinction, caused them to write down what we now know as the Talmud. And that was all completed around 200 years after the birth of Jesus. Um, And like I said, just like... uh, Judaism, Christianity has its own New Testament version, even an Old Testament version, right? Because you read a Matthew uh, Henry commentary or a Matthew, or uh, excuse me, an Adam Clark or a Barnes commentary, or there's just, you know, literally hundreds of commentaries on the Bible by Christian men, uh, 
Jews also have a commentary. And the problem is, is that if Christians don't study the Jewish commentary, there's a good chance we're going to be missing some revelation. We won't have a full and complete picture. This is why we're returning, why God is causing a return to the Jewish roots. Because something's been missing. And we don't keep the commandments of God to earn our salvation. We keep the commandments of God, study the commandments of God, dig into the commandments of God and the commentary to learn more about what God's thinking. For Israel, that was 40 years in the desert. God spoke to Moses about all of what it meant. And then Moses communicated that to the 70, the Sanhedrin, actually the 120. And uh, uh, they conveyed that down. This is how we're going to live a godly society. These are the rules for living. This is what God said. He wrote it down. Here's some of the explanation. And this should help. Israel, all of us, live a much better life. Amen? Now, usually Christians are just taught that the Old Testament and the Torah is legalism. God made a big mistake and sent Jesus as a giant eraser to erase it all. Oh my gosh, God made a mistake. How can God make a mistake? Somebody tell me how God, God doesn't make mistakes. He is sinless and blameless and perfect and holy. What he gave to Israel was his word. That's why Paul acknowledges in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the rest, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? We just wanted to play Hatfields and McCoys in Christianity and stir up something and, you know, put a wedge between Judeo and Christian. God's trying to restore Judeo-Christianity. But our uh, Jewish friends make a very important distinction on how to apply the written word versus the oral word, the written Torah versus the oral Torah. And just to summarize, it says, When there is a doubt concerning a Torah commandment, one must be strict. Right? What's written, you're reading it. We pretty much can't fudge on that. Right? If God says don't get involved in certain forbidden relationships, you can fudge it all you want with a man-made tradition. Man-made law does not supersede God-made law. And so you just start with that. We're not going to change the Word of God. Right? But when there's a question, and it's very obvious there is potential for more than one interpretation, one should be lenient and flexible. And the Torah, the oral Torah, is meant to help us sort through that. 
Because all the leaders of God, beginning with Moses, all the way through our Messiah Jesus and the apostles and and beyond, help us to understand how to rightly divide this thing. So we don't go off half-cocked and start a new doctrine God never intended to start because we read something and we got our own private interpretation. And in Jewish thought, this is especially true when we're talking about the oral Torah. This is why in yeshiva and you look at the oral Torah and you just read what people uh, comment on the, you know, one rabbi said this, one rabbi said that, this rabbi said that. There's 70 facets of Torah in traditional Jewish thinking. And when you get into man-made law, it ties in with the old adage that says strictly follow the law but don't follow the law strictly. Strictly follow the law. It's written. It's right there. Thou shalt not kill. But there may be some extenuating circumstances. Does that mean I can't defend myself if I'm being attacked? So there's explanations that God didn't give. When God was talking about uh, kosher, don't eat this, don't eat that, there's a whole backstory in the oral Torah that explains why. And it helps us to have a, a deeper, richer, more knowledgeable understanding of God's plan. So, strictly follow the law, love your neighbor. But don't follow the law too strictly. Meaning if your neighbor, like, is totally messing up, (laughs) yeah, don't follow him. This all ties into Judaism's most famous, one of their most famous stories about two of the most prominent rabbis from the era just before Jesus was born. The first rabbi, Shammai, was approached by a Gentile who said that he would convert to Judaism if Shammai could teach him the entire Torah while standing on one foot. Upon hearing this from the Gentile, Rabbi Shammai got aggravated and chased the would-be convert away. Get out of here, you idiot! So the man went to uh, Shammai's contemporary, Hillel. You've probably heard of Hillel even more than Shammai. Uh, Gamaliel in the book of Acts, who was a wise leader in the church, was the grandson of Hillel. And he's been considered in Judaism as one of the great rabbis of all time. So this Gentile convert Owen, you just got decaf there. Did you know that? Okay. (laughs) Just want to help you. And then, uh, and so the this Gentile then went to Hillel with the very same request: If you can teach me the Torah, all of it while standing on one foot, I'll become what you are a God-fearing Jewish man. So Hillel 
very shrewdly stood on one foot. And this is what he said. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. The rest is oral Torah. The rest is commentary. Now go and study. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. This is the Torah. This is the Bible. This is uh, the, the uh, sum total of everything that we believe according to Hillel. The rest is just commentary. Now go and study and learn how to rightly apply it into your life or as a nation into your nation. If you're going to be one nation under God, you're going to need to follow a certain code, a certain set of principles. America was founded that way and all of a sudden it ain't good enough. Wonder who's behind that thinking. So the lesson here is that a huge portion of what God wants us to do and how God wants us to live is live by the golden rule. In fact, the Lord Jesus uh, actually repeats this in his own way by saying, always treat others as you would like them to treat you. That sums up the teaching of the Torah and the prophets. You want to sum it all up? Golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Right? Amen. So God uh, makes a covenant with Israel coming out of Egypt at Mount Sinai. And now, 40 years later, they're on the banks of the Jordan, ready to go into the promised land. And so Moses writes the book of Deuteronomy to renew the covenant, second covenant, repetition of the covenant, repetition of the law, Deuteronomy. That's what that means. And and so he wants everything to be emphasized to this second generation as they go in. This is how you do it. Don't forget. Don't make the mistakes your parents made. Right? And it was the first covenant of its kind. We don't necessarily think of it that way. No other nation, no other king was going to ordinary people and saying, I got a brilliant revelation. I'm going to share my blessing and my power with you, the ordinary person. (laughs) No king would promise an abundant life. There was going to be the haves and the have-nots. There were going to be a small group of people with power and privilege, and the rest of us were going to be ordinary serfs and peasants and slaves. Unless you were born into privilege, into the elite class, you were just insignificant, a peon. This is, even now we're having that discussion and debate in America. Who has privilege? And... People are trying to make it about race. Newsflash, breaking news, it's not about white and black. It's about the people that have power and the people that don't. 
to the ruling class, you could and uh, were used, abused, taken advantage of in any of all situations, no matter what color. And that's been history's big problem, right? America didn't invent racism. America didn't. In fact, if you really think about it, America led the way in the world to try to put the brakes on racism. No other country's trying to do that as much as America's tried to do that. Ever heard of Abraham Lincoln? Now we've screwed it up. But it's not just the politicians. I dare say it's the church that screwed it up. And the church doesn't want to take responsibility for how they've fallen short of the glory of God and the plan of God. The church has never accepted the fact that there's one cross for all colors. That's the problem. We, we have a tough time coming to grips with there is one blood shed for every nation and background of people. Heaven is not segregated. There are no Jim Crow laws in heaven. <laughs> and we're not segregated. Well, there's the Baptist side of town. There's the black side of town. There's the Hispanic neighborhood. There's this and that and the other thing. None of that applies in heaven. We're all gathered together and we're not social distanced and we're not alienated and segregated by race or color or denomination. Right? So really it's the church that has the biggest problem to solve. We have to, as a universal church in every pulpit and every denomination here in America and around the world, we've got to be the ones to decide how do we welcome everyone and not feel like, oh, why are they here? What are you doing here? You can't sit on the front row. You're not the right color. How do we get around all of that? Because churches struggle with that. And the root of it is our anti-Semitism, our racism against the Jews, the, the Christ killers, those dirty, rotten Jews. And if you go through all of church history, centuries of writing, centuries of teaching, centuries of oral commentary are directed against the, the disgusting Jewish people and everything they represent. And so that's kind of like the thorn in the flesh, right? That's what the church is struck. That's the root of all racism, Amen. So God decides when he gets with Israel, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and it's not going to be based on the color of your skin, where you were born. All of you who pledge your allegiance to the family of God are now privileged. <laughs> and that's still true today. 
And the devil wants to stir up the strife and division to get us off track and distracted so we don't realize no matter who we are, no matter where we came from, I can have a new beginning in Jesus and every blood-bought promise is yes and amen to you, to your family, to anyone who will call on whosoever. No matter what your background. And the church has a problem with that. So if anybody needs to, you know, kind of go back and repent, the church needs to repent. And once we get it right, then it's going to help the world to get it right. Because they're going to see, like New Beginnings is this microcosm of what the church should look like. Just for those of you on the podcast or got the CD, I'm looking uh, around at who's attending Torah study, and uh, it's uh, people from every background, every race. And we're all one family. We're all brothers and sisters. There's therefore now no male or female. There's no Greek or Jew, slave or free. We are all one through Christ. That doesn't mean there's no more male and female. It just means our mindset has to change. That I'm not judging people because, well, you're a woman. You you should be silent and shut up and let the men run things. Not in Christ. Well, you're African-American. You're a second-class citizen. You have no right to be in the church and especially sit close to the front. Wrong, 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 wrong. Repent, 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 repent. Amen? And we could go on and on and on. The main thing is let's get our attitude right towards people beginning with the Jewish people. Paul explains this in Romans 9. Because there's this great debate about who's a Jew and how we should look at the Jewish people. Because when he wrote this, guess where he was living? In a prison cell in Rome. The Romans... The Romans weren't Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor romanticizing the world with with their wonderful version of society. Rome was brutal. And if they hated anybody, they hated the Jews. And so Paul's trapped in a prison cell there because of politics. And he writes in Romans 9 to remind everybody, especially the Romans, he says, they're the Israelites. They're my fellow citizens and God's chosen people. To the Israelites, the Jewish people belong God's glorious presence. No, Rome is the glorious presence. Uh Uh-uh. To the Jews belong God's glorious presence. The covenants, the Torah, the temple with its required sacrifices, and the promises of God. And we trace our beginnings back to the patriarchs. Notice that. Our salvation history is traced all the way back to the patriarchs. Our salvation history isn't traced back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
as good as that is, it goes all the way back to the patriarchs and through their bloodline is the genealogy of the Messiah who is God over everything. May he be praised through endless ages. Amen. So once we solve that, we solve a lot. Jews are good. Say that. Jews are good. (laughs) People in the church who keep discrediting the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, and the Judeo part of Judeo-Christianity, they're the ones making the mistake. Christians who continue to state that God's commandments are abolished and replaced by grace, they need to consider the Bible. Not just their own thinking or their own oral Torah. Been studying a lot about end times lately, right? Some great preacher last week visited the church and preached a great sermon on there's a new world coming. (laughs) But I found some verses in Revelation as we try to get to the end of our message today. Listen to what it says in Revelation 12, 17. The book of Revelation, talking about the end times. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Huh? Who keep the commandments of God. But I thought the commandments were abolished. And we just live by grace. Well, that's just one thing and you got it wrong. You should read my oral Torah. It says that's wrong. No, it doesn't. Look at Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and and the faith of Jesus. Revelation 22:14 Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Do you notice what's going on with these scriptures in Revelation? Keeping the commandments is different than faith in Jesus. He's separating the two so that you can easily see having faith in Jesus is very, very important and so are keeping the commandments. One of the signs of the last days is that God's people will honor commandment keeping. Right? This is how you maintain law and order. Has anyone noticed on TV that the enemy is trying to stir up strife and hate and division and there's a breakdown of law and order? Have you noticed that? Because the devil wants it that way. If you're going to be a good citizen of heaven, you have to support law and order. But not secular humanist law and order. God's version of law and order. Well, how do I know what God's version of law and order is? It's called the (laughs) B-I-B-L-E. Amen? So it doesn't sound like 
the commandments of God according to John in the book of Revelation have been abolished. See, keeping God's laws doesn't make us citizens of heaven, right? They just make us better citizens. You can be saved and not follow the laws, but I wouldn't want to face the Lord based on that. Well, my oral Torah philosophy is I can pledge my allegiance to Jesus and then go out and live like the devil and still make heaven my home. I, I'm not going to recommend that. If you want to make heaven your home, you better have faith in Jesus and be willing to follow a code of ethics as defined by the Bible. Now, if we could boil it all down, treat others the way that you want to be treated, that sums it all up. But most people can't do that. They need the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey said. Right? 1 John 5, 3 says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. What's grievous is breaking the principles, breaking the commandments, and living a life where you're not surrendered to following it and doing it God's way. That's where life gets hard. It may seem hard to not gossip. It may seem hard to put a guard on your mouth. It may seem hard to sow a seed to get a harvest. But the alternative is even worse. I spent too many years serving the devil. I can attest to the fact that his way is the grievous way. We don't keep the commandments of God to earn our salvation. We keep the commandments of God to demonstrate we love the Lord. We're willing to do it God's way and not our way. This is what Jesus said in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, that just means we're just supposed to love one. No, Jesus is the living word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That living word that became flesh didn't start in Matthew. It started in Genesis. Jesus is that living word. Satan and the Antichrist, on the other hand, they're the ones that want to break down all of commandment keeping. In Daniel 7.25, speaking about prophetically about the Antichrist, the prophet Daniel said about the Antichrist, he will speak words against the Most High God and wear down the saints of the Most High, and he will intend to change the times and the law. The times, the appointed times, the festivals that guide us through the calendar, give us the rhythm of life and connect us with the blessing of God, and the law, the commandments. The Antichrist wants to change the commandments. It's happening right before our eyes. Our laws are changing. And this is what the man of sin is working to, to do. He, he has a version of the new world order. It's a demonic vision, and it doesn't include the commandments of God. So the worst thing the church could do is 
is echo the same sentiments. Well, we're, we don't need the Ten Commandments, prominent pastors say. You sound like the Antichrist. What the heck is wrong with you? We, the, the Antichrist doesn't need prominent Christian pastors to help him out. <laughs> right? Ultimately, it's the devil who's motivating everything. And he wants us to be hostile to the commandments, hostile to law and order, hostile to the concept of the following the Bible, and on and on. And he's trying to overturn every. I'm going to tear down everything. You think you think that the Marxist, communist, socialist crowd is done when they tear down Christopher Columbus? That's not their aim, right? Their aim isn't to, remember last week I talked about the critical theory? Their aim isn't to solve problems. Their aim is to keep the problems going, keep the pressure on, so that we can instill our version of what society should look like. And none of that has anything to do with the Bible, God, Jesus Christ, your faith, going to church, and everything else. So don't make... Christians don't need to make the devil's job easier by getting into agreement. All the ten, unhitch yourself from the Ten Commandments. So we could go on and on and on, but as we close, we just need to stand strong. Love the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Try our best to understand the principles. What's behind what you're trying to say, Lord? Why did you say all of these commandments? What, what's the meaning? What's the purpose? And how does that lead me into more wisdom and more blessing? Amen. Who wants more wisdom and blessing? Amen. Receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.